Well, tonight we're going to be talking about the, the theocracy of Christ in the kingdom age and throughout eternity. So we're t tonight we're going to be talking about the millennial reign. We're going to be talking about the great white throne judgment. Because I felt like it was very important as Christians to help us get a big picture to evangelize. When you look at the great white throne judgment, we're going to break it down. And it really does send chills down your spine. And then we're going to talk about eternity. And, uh, so I, and you know, Miss Tamara, which thank you again, Miss Tamara, for those three classes. I mean, those are amazing. Huh? <laughs> yeah. To, to get through the book of Revelation in three classes was truly a, a God thing. Uh, and so we're going to kind of take off from that aspect. You'll see on your, your handout a bunch of verses prior to that. I want to kind of talk about some of the things to kind of tie up some of the confusion that goes into the rapture versus the second coming. And I kind of want to show you the aspects of how God is going to be dealing with the Jewish people during this time period. And so that's the part that I really want you to see. And I feel like some of the things that we're going to bring out in this beginning will really help you to understand uh, this aspect. Okay? So we journey through the signs of the times that we're living on the precipice of what is to come. And we talked about the signs in Matthew 24. And we were seeing the literal contractions even now of the things that are going to happen in the tribulation period. And then we also spoke about the generational signs that we're talking about that kind of go beyond the generational uh, aspect of just Matthew 24. We went through a deep dive into Israel and all these other aspects. Then we talked about the behavioral signs and we went really in depth on the behavior of people in the last days. And then Ms. Tamara went through uh, three classes on an intense overview of the book of Revelation. And like I said, tonight we're going to be talking about what life is going to be like during the thousand-year reign of Christ. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, we devote this time to you, Lord, to learn your word. Father, we thank you for the principles of your word. We thank you for the truths, Lord, that you've laid out in your word. And Father, we just ask that you would help us to see them very clearly and, and, and to give us just great excitement, Lord, of what is to come, which is part of your plan and purpose for all eternity. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we always hear this verse in Isaiah 9, 6-7, uh, dealing with uh, when Jesus is born, right? For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to his increase of his government, or of peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it upon, uh, uh, to uphold it with justice and righteousness, for then and forevermore. So remember, it says that the government will be on his shoulders. We read that in the context of Christmas, but it's really talking about the millennial reign and eternity, how, how Jesus is going to rule. And that's why we use the word theocracy. It has nothing to do, it won't be Republican, Democrat, this is going to be God, and G Jesus saying, this is what we're doing. <laughs> this is how we're carrying out government. So remember, Jesus came first to offer himself as the, the messianic uh, savior to the Jewish people and to us. Remember, but they wanted 
a leader. They wanted a government leader. They wanted somebody that was going to be king over them, that was going to rule and reign, and they rejected him as the Messiah. So we know that God raised up the church to do the evangelistic work, right? We know that Jesus came to die in our place. Remember, the second time he comes back, at the second coming, he is bringing wrath and judgment. Okay? He's going to take out the enemies of, of Israel. The Bible says that in all these are verses, like Revelation 19, 11 through 21, it, it will bring compensation to his enemies. He will also set up his earthly kingdom during this time to rule. Remember, the rapture happens to remove us from his wrath and to re reward the church. That's what you need to know about the rapture. Now listen, what you believe about the rapture will tell you what you believe about Christ's work on the cross. If you believe in mid or post, and I know some people might, what, what you're saying is, because a lot of times the reason behind that belief is that, you know, I need to be purified. That's what they teach. Oh, the, the church has to be purified. They go through the tribulation. The sad thing, it's a theological issue, because then you're coming against what Jesus did for justification. Right. Justifying is just as if, we never sin. So if you go with the view of mid or post, it's really, I don't want to, I'm going to be bluntly say it, but it's really an attack on the cross. It's an attack on the justification that Christ bore in our, in our place to justify us. Us getting our heads cut off does not make us any more holier. And then what happens to those that died in the 80s and the 90s? You know, so yet you, it, it doesn't make sense. It's the wrath of God being poured out on a world that is crying out for judgment. Really, that they are. The things that are happening today is people are basically shaking their fist at God. So the second coming has another reason that we're going to look at briefly. Remember, he's fulfilling his promise to return and set up his kingdom. Right? We know that Jesus was promised the kingdom. We know that he will defeat his enemies, right? There's the enemies of Israel right now that are plotting against him, and Jesus will set up his kingdom and crush them. He will also restore at the close of the tribulation. Remember, it talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? It's Israel. If you believe replacement theology, that the church takes the place of Israel, that's where you believe that you end up... Uh, becoming spiritual Israel. That's not true. The Bible does not talk about any type of replacement. God is dealing with the church and he's dealing with Israel. You could read Romans and see that God has not cast aside Israel, but for the blindness for us to come in is the is, is what happened for us to get the gospel at really at the expense of the Jewish people because the Jewish people rejected him and then we came in and did what they should have been doing, which was evangelizing which one day will go back with the 144,000 Jews. Everybody get that? Yes. Okay, Jeremiah 30, verses 7 through 11. In all of history, there has never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel. Yet in the end, they will be saved. For in that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will break the yoke from their necks and snap their chains. Foreigners will no longer be their masters, for my people will serve the Lord their God and their king, descended from David, the king I will raise up for them. So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, says the Lord. For I will bring you home again from distant lands, 
and your children will return from their exile, and Israel will return to a life of peace and quiet, and no one will terrorize them. For I am the Lord, I am with you, and I will save you, says the Lord. I will completely destroy the nations where I have scattered you. Do you see what it says here? Now he also, he will judge the sheep and goat nations during this time. When he comes back at the second coming, these are the events that he will be doing. He will bind Satan for a thousand years. We know that. And he will rule as the king of all the earth. Remember, at the rapture he comes as a thief in the night. Remember? He comes. No, that's why you have the tribulation and a leader popping up because he's given explanations why all these things are happening. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve, uh, so you, you will not grieve as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, listen to this part, God will bring with him those that have fallen asleep. So that means when if you go, somebody dies, their body is in the ground, their soul and spirit go to be with the Lord. At the rapture of the church, he brings with him those that have fallen asleep to join their body, and it, it changes from corruptible to incorruptible. 1 Corinthians 15.52 tells us that. Tells us that this corruptible must put on uh, incorruptible. So that's where the two verses tie in together. So I want you to understand this is when it talks about the second coming. There are only two comings. He's coming back to set up his kingdom, but it's an appearing. The mystery of the rapture is an appearing in the sky and our gathering together. Now people say this all the time. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Right? That's, that's the argument that people have. It's the words caught up. Now remember, caught up means to be raptured. Here's what I want you to, to know. The Bible, in the, you know, there are, tra- there are terms in the Bible that are not, uh, that we use that are not in the Bible. The millennial reign is not in the Bible. It's the thousand year reign of Christ. The word Bible is not in the Bible. Right? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But the triunity of God is clearly seen. So, just because you don't see a word, there are principles behind the word. The thousand year reign of Christ, so the millennial reign, is the Latin word for a thousand years. Okay? And so, over the years, translations can bring these words out, but these are not the original words. St. Jerome translated the Bible from Koine Greek to to Latin in the 4th century, and the language changed from Greek to Latin during that time because of the Roman church was getting a lot of traction, and that was the liturgy that was being, that was being taught. So it went from Greek to Latin in the, in the Western branch. Now the word harpazo is the word caught for caught up, okay? Now, this is what I want you to understand. It says that we shall be caught up. Harpazo is the word in the Greek. But in the Latin, that word harpazo is rapere or raptus. That's where we get the word rapture. So people that say the rapture is not in the Bible, the word caught up is in the Bible. And listen, if you don't believe in the rapture, use the word the resurrection of the dead. It's the same event. Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? That's the rapture. So it's very simple. You could just use the word the resurrection of the dead. So people may differ where it happens at, but you have to believe in a catching away. Right? Because that's what Jesus talked about. 
So the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to be in the clouds. The Bible even tells us how far Jesus comes down, if you can believe that or not. There's a word, air. So we have A-I-R, and there's two words that are used, A-E-R and Aether. Those are two different words. Now in the Greeks, from Mount Olympus, from the, from the ground to the top of Mount Olympus, they say is around the 6,000 feet. That's the word that the Greek used, that the Greeks used to tell us what that word means. So when he says we'll be caught up together with them in the air, that word is literally 6,000 feet. If they use anything, like if they were to use the word aether, it would be from there into space. So I just thought that that was very interesting that remember when he comes back, he doesn't set his feet on the Mount of Olives at that moment. This is the rapture. The second coming, he steps his foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two. And that's what you need to know. Remember, we didn't hear about a rapture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it was given to Paul as a revelation and he comes out of the gate right in 1 Thessalonians and then right in 2 Thessalonians. Remember, he says the, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we'll be gathered to meet him. So you see what I'm saying? It's two separate events. And that's what, I don't know if we drove that home enough in, in, throughout the class because that is something that confuses people. Now let's look at the word elect. Matthew 24 talks about the elect. And I want to prove to you that it is not the church. Okay? Jesus is answering in the context of a Jewish audience. He's talking to the 12 disciples. And the question is, when are you coming to set up your kingdom? That is what they were wondering. They were wondering, when, you know, Rome is invading us. They're, they're taxing us to death. When are you going to set your kingdom up? Jesus then tells them the, the Matthew 24, Olivet Discord, which is the tribulation period. Now, this is what I want you to see in Matthew 24, verse 24. Remember, in Matthew 24, he talks about this. The church does not come until Acts 2, some years later, some time later. Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Okay, people say, oh, that's the church. Listen, you got to look at the context of the word elect. The elect, the, the word elect is eclectos, and it means to pull out from, to select from. So in 2 John 2, 1, there's an elect lady. In 1 Peter 2, 6, there's the elect, Christ is the elect, the cornerstone. In Romans 8, 33, the church is considered the elect there in that particular context. In 1 Timothy 5, 21, there are elect angels. And in Matthew 24, 24, there's an elect Jewish remnant. Now look in the, the Old Testament. In Isaiah 42, 1. Jesus, speaking of Jesus, my, the Messiah, he says, my elect. In Isaiah 45, 4, my elect is speaking of Israel being God's elect. In Isaiah 65, 9, my elect is speaking of Israel inheriting the land. Okay, Isaiah 65, 22, my elect speaks of Israel building the kingdom. So that's the context, is, that's the word, when you talk about the elect. So I want you to see, just because you see a word elect does not mean it's talking about the church. Now, in Matthew 24, 29 through 31, Jesus is, I'll, I'll get to that verse in a minute, but you have to see it in Isaiah 27, 13. Jesus is quoting 
Isaiah 27, 13. Listen what it says. And it shall come to pass. Let me take this jacket off. I'm hot. All right. I didn't realize it was going to be that hot. Isaiah 27, 13. It shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcast in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in this holy mountain at Jerusalem. That's Isaiah 27, 13. Now look what he says in Matthew 24, 29, 31. This is where people get confused because it talks about the elect in the tribulation. Watch what it says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall, uh, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Look what it says. This is, this is what was talked about in Isaiah 27. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect, from the four winds, from the end of heaven, and the other. Now, Zechariah 13.9 tells us some more information about this. There's a third of the Jewish people that will survive during the tribulation. Look what it says in Zechariah 13, verse 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, I will hear them, and I will say it is my people, and they, they shall say, the Lord is my God. The context is, after the tribulation, these are the Jewish people responding to Christ, not the church. Okay? So I just want you to understand that because there's a lot of people that get confused on these issues, and they're, they're worried if we're going to go through the tribulation. No, we're not going to go through the tribulation. God has not poured out His wrath on His church, His bride, or His children. He didn't do it in the Old Testament. Look at uh, Lot. He said, Lot, y'all got to get out of here before God can pour out his judgment. Look at Noah. He spared Noah and brought his judgment. How much more under the new covenant should we be protected in Christ? Okay? And that's just two instances. The Bible says that pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming upon the world. Upon the world. So apparently there's a way of escape, right? Because he's telling you that there's a way of escape. Now look at this. Also at the second coming, the Bible says that every eye will see him. So the second coming in the rapture, he comes as a thief. Nobody knows what happens. There's all these explanations. People probably try to use UFOs or whatever. Now look at what it says in Revelation 19, 11 through 19. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. This is why he's coming back for the second coming. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his heads are many diadems, and he has a name written on, on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Does this sound like a rapture verse? There's no, there's no horses in First Thessalonians or First Corinthians. It says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, and so that he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. 
And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then he says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the midheavens, Come assemble from the great, for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of horses, and all those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free both free men, slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So we see here the church is in that army as well as angels are in that army. Now listen, we have glorified bodies during this time. So we will see wickedness as Jesus sees wickedness. You know, like some people... They feel like they have more compassion than God does, right? We look at all these things, even say, oh, brother, just pray for him, you know. Think about if if we'd have the mentality that people have nowadays during the time of David and Goliath. Let's just pray for Goliath. (laughs) No, you take his head off. (laughs) Look at Zechariah 12. We're going to give a lot of verses. Once again, let's let the Bible talk. Zechariah 12, 9 9 through 13, verse 1. Listen, this is what happens once again during this time period. For on that day I will begin to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer in the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced. This is a good, if you ever read the story of Joseph, this is a picture of what Joseph, when he revealed himself to his brothers. It says, and they will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who died. The sorrow in the morning in Jerusalem on that day will be like the great morning from Hadad Riman in the valley of Megiddo. That's in the, the valley of Armageddon. So this is at the second coming. All Israel will mourn, each clan by itself, with the husbands separate from the wives. The clan of David will mourn alone, as will the clan of Nathan, the clan of Levi, the clan of Shimei. Each of the surviving clans from Judah will mourn separately and with the husbands separate from their wives. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and impurity. So are you seeing what I'm trying to do is bring you a picture of this is God dealing with Israel, not the church. We're in heaven during the tribulation period, attending the Bema Seat judgment, which is the judgment that Christians appear at and going through the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, so this is what's happening in heaven. Now, Revelation 19, let's look at this part. 1920 through uh, Revelation 19, verse 20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on a horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer." until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. 
Okay, so we see this is what happens. He binds Satan. Now look at Zechariah 14, 3 and 9. This is what happens once again during this time period, the second coming. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fought in times past. On that day he will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from the east to the west. Half the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. You will flee through this valley, for it will reach across to Azel. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and with all of his holy ones with him. On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine, yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. I like how you put that in there. <laughs> there will be no normal day and night, for at evening time it will still be light. On that day, living, life-giving waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half towards the Dead Sea and half towards the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will, there will, there will be one Lord, and his name alone will be worshipped. Now remember, it says he comes back on the Mount of Olives, right? Remember in Acts, when he left, with, with the angels that showed up, they said, why do you stand gazing in the sky? This same Jesus will come back just as he left on the Mount of Olives. So this is the second coming. So I want you to understand there's not three comings. There's two comings, but there's a rapture, a gathering together of the saints to go into heaven. So I just wanted to make sure we put this to bed. Because that's the, these are the common things that people say. Whether he's, there's only a second coming. No, there's a gathering. Technically, he's coming and taking us. We're being, we're being gathered in heaven. We're getting our glorified bodies. At this time is when he comes in, defeats all the enemies, sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. It splits down the middle, and then he goes into the eastern gate, which you've probably seen that when you look at Jerusalem, there's the eastern gate. He's going to kick that thing open and walk in, and he's going to say, this is my place. That new government starts now. So, so he, we know that he rules and reigns. We know that, that during this time, before the second coming, we're in heaven, we're getting judged, we're attending the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're getting on horses, we hope you can ride horses, if not you have glorified bodies, you'll figure it out. And Christ will rule the world from Jerusalem. And during this time, there will also be another temple built, because remember, the Antichrist has defiled the third temple. And remember, Jesus, also Israel is judged in Ezekiel 20, and then there's something called the judgment of the sheep, and goat nations. So this is point number one, the millennial kingdom. So I wanted to give you some overview. Hope that helped you in your processing of all this information. But I just felt like there was this was needed to kind of give further explanation. So why the millennial kingdom, right? Why don't we just go into eternity? Don't doesn't it just seem trivial at some point? Like, man, we've been doing this, you know, this existence and sin and all this stuff. Why not just go? Remember. We as believers are part of the kingdom of God. We are part of a spiritual kingdom of God. Right now, Jesus is on his throne, ruling and reigning. We're, Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, spiritually speaking, but he is also going to rule from this earth with a rod of iron, the Bible says. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a, a dream in Daniel, and he saw all the, the, the kingdoms of this world, and then he saw the ten toes, and he saw the two legs of ten toes, and it says that, I'll read it to you, during the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up, okay, 
during the reign of those kings. So that's telling you, during the reign of these ten toes, you have all these kingdoms that came and one defeated the other. If you study through history, the Medes, the Persians, the Romans, all these different ones, and then it branches off into two, the east and the west, and then it comes into ten toes, and it's mixed with clay, which is a democracy that doesn't mix well. And Jesus comes when these ten kings, remember we talked about this, Ms. Tamara brought it up, I brought it up in a previous uh, session as well. It says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. I like this. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. So basically, you saw a rock not made with hands. It came and it destroyed, hit the feet of this statue, and destroyed the kingdoms of this world. These ten kingdoms are yet to, to show up on the scene, but they are... They're, they will. It won't be long. <laughs> you can see that. So why does we have to have a, why do we have to have a millennial reign? Well, number one, God promised Israel an earthly kingdom in both the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. And these are the verses you can you can see. Also, Israel has never owned all of the land that they were promised. These borders are going to extend exactly to where God said that they can have. Remember, the Jews were always looking for an earthly king. And they're going to get one. And, and he also came to die in our place. So he did not come to be some ruler as what they wanted. He came as a lamb, right? And he will come back as a lion. Now, number two, Jesus was promised his inheritance. Psalms 2, 7 and 8 says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. That's why when Satan said, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world, Jesus was like, Shad, that's mine anyway. <laughs> you know, that's mine anyway. And number two, let's look at our millennial citizenship in Revelation 24 through 6. This is about to get into some pretty good information. This was exciting. You, you're tracking with me? I didn't lose you in the introduction. Okay. Sometimes the introductions of these messages, I build a big porch on a small trailer. <laughs> no, thank you. You can put, put a couple cars under it too. It says, Then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge and i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about jesus and for proclaiming proclaiming the word of god they had not worshiped the beast or his statue nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or in their hands they all came to life again and they reigned with christ for a thousand years this is the first resurrection look what it says the rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed are the holy, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, for they will be priests of God, and Christ will reign with them for a thousand years. So we will be ruling and reigning with Him. And these are com com composed of the 144,000 who are protected and sealed, the church that was raptured, 
as well as the martyrs that died during the tribulation, as well as the two witnesses that get taken up. Okay? Blessed are you who take part in the first resurrection. You know why we're blessed? Because we get glorified bodies. And that's a big blessing. <laughs> but also, the second death does not affect us. Now, this is what I want you, this is where it gets a little confusion, confusing, but I, I'm going to explain it to where we can all understand it. Revelation 7, 9, look what it says. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, all tribes, and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. So here's the question you probably have. What about the people that live through the tribulation, that don't take the mark of the beast, right? And just live on through. I mean, if you think about it, that's pretty amazing. All this calamity coming on this earth and people are like, man, they ain't get me. <laughs> I'm going to live through it. They live through it. Remember, the rapture has already happened. So they don't die. They live through the tribulation period and they go into the millennial kingdom. So these, these tribulation survivors are the people that believe in Christ, that receive Christ, but don't get a millennial uh, glorified body because they didn't take part in the first resurrection. But these are the ones that can have children and repopulate the earth. Okay, this is what this was always confusing, but it's it's really very simple. They live through and they go into the new the, the millennial reign. And remember, it's a thousand years. And we'll talk about how life expectancy extends. So people live, you know, like living to a hundred is nothing. So you gotta figure these people are having multiple kids, a thousand years, that's millions of people on the earth during this time so that's what you need to understand now matthew 25 31 through 46 there's also something called the judgment of the sheep and goat nations look what it says when the son of man comes in his glory all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne so this is at the second coming right he he ha he does he sets up the sheep and goat nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. Let me back up. Remember, at the Bema seat, it's only Christians. Paul says we must all appear. At the great white throne, judgment is only lost. So you see how he's separating the sheep and the goats. He's separating the believers from unbelievers or the righteous from the unrighteous. And he says, and he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will tell those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly, I say, I say to you, 
as you did not do it to one of these least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but to the righteous and to eternal life. So you see, you're, you're, so this freaks you out. You're like, well, what judgment is this? Right? So we're seeing, we, we're seeing the Bema Seed judgment. We're seeing the judgment of the sheep and goat. And then we will see the great white throne judgment. Now, here's some interpretations, because I'm telling you, this thing, you know, I was even talking with Ms. Tamron, we were reading behind all kind of different people. And there's basically three schools of thought. The sheep are the Jews and the goats are the Gentile nations that mistreated them during the, the time. Or the, the, another belief is the sheep are the brethren or believers and the un, others are the unbelievers. And then there's even a belief that the sheep are the 144,000 and the other Gentile nations are the ones that mistreated the 144,000. Either way, we have the righteous versus the un, and the unrighteous. The sheep go into the millennial kingdom and the goats go to eternal damnation. Then we have the great white throne judgment. Now remember, it says, blessed are you who take part in the first resurrection. That's us if we're raptured. You know, hopefully everybody in here is born again. And then we see, we see that the wicked dead, remember they go, they, they don't, they're not resurrected until after the thousand years. So let me explain that to you. If a lost person dies right now, they go to Hades where they're suffering, right? Satan is not bound in hell right now. He comes and goes, does what he wants, you know, all this. Well, he does what God allows him to do. I like what Erwin, I think it's Erwin Lucy said, yeah, he's the devil, but he's God's devil. <laughs> he's on a leash and he can only do so much. So if somebody dies right now, they don't go and stand before God and get judged. Imagine you, you're a good person. You go to church. You do all these things. You die. You're really lost. You just go to church or you just think you're a good person and you're in the caverns of hell. You do not know why you're there. You, you're thinking, man, I, I did everything right, and you're there for at least a thousand years. Now think about that. If the rapture happens seven years from now, and, and somebody dies today, they're there for a thousand and seven years. Only to come out and get formally sentenced to a worse place. Let that ring in your, in your ear. Think about that. That's why this is no laughing matter when it comes to the gospel. And we'll talk more about this later. Revelation 20, verse 5. This is the first resurrection. Look what it says. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for the thousand years. Does everybody see that? Okay. Let's look at life. Life expectancy will mirror Creation. Look what it says in Isaiah 65, 20. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. People who live will be able to multiply and have children. This is what we need to know. So with the longevity of life will be the ability to have more kids. And populate the earth. Remember, Adam lived to be 900. Methuselah lived to be 969. Enoch lived to be 365 years. See, we will have glorified bodies and we will not be able to die, nor will we reproduce. Remember in Matthew 22, verse 30, it says, For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. So we understand that. Our glorified bodies 
you know, this is what we'll, we'll have. Now, what will our glorified bodies be like? There's no planet fitness in heaven. <laughs> Won't need it. We can eat whatever we want. Now, look at our glorified bodies. Remember, Jesus was able to walk through walls. In John 20, verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He could disappear and reappear at will. Luke 24, 31, And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. This is at the road to Emmaus. John 21, 13 through 15, We will also eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb while the tribulation is going on. I, I wanted to tell you that. I'm sorry. First John 3, 2. It says when he appears, we will be like him. So that means whatever Jesus has in his glorified body, we will be able to do the same thing. So basically, this will be a time of mortals interacting with immortals. Think about that. I know it sounds science fiction. Incorruptible flesh will live alongside of corruptible flesh. Now let's look at the living conditions. It will be a time of peace, and it will be like the Garden of Eden, the thousand years. Isaiah 51.3, For the Lord comforts Zion, He comforts all her waste places, and He makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the Garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. So there will also be economic prosperity during this time. And I gave you a ton of verses on the explanation of that. Look what it says in Amos 9, 11 through 15. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore it to its former glory. And Israel possessed what's left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken and he will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they could be harvested. Think about that. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands, and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine and will firmly be planted in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. So it would be a time of healing, it would be a time of righteousness, it would be a time of joy, and it would be a time of honesty. Think about that. Isaiah 29, I'm going to give you some more verses. 18 through 24, I like this, listen. In that day the deaf will hear the words read from a book, and the blind will see through the gloom and darkness. The humble will be filled with the fresh joy from the Lord. The poor will re rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The scoffer will be gone. The arrogant will disappear. Those who plot evil will be killed. Those who convict the innocent by their false testimony will disappear. A similar fate awaits those who use trickery to pervert justice, who tells lies to destroy the innocent. That is why the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the people of Israel, My people will no longer be ashamed or turn pale with fear. But when they see their many children and all the blessings I have given them, they will recognize the holiness of the Holy One of Israel, and they will stand in awe of the God of Jacob. Then the wayward will gain understanding, and the complainers will accept instruction. So it's, it's just a massive dose of healing on many, many aspects. 
Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up, uh, up for David a righteous branch. He, will, uh, he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and all Israel will dwell securely. And this is the time which will be called the Lord is our righteousness. It will be a time of the full knowledge of the Lord in all his ways. Habakkuk tells us the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Think about that. Then there's going to be a millennial temple. And you can read this in chapters in Ezekiel 40 through 48. I won't read all that because we'd be here the rest of the time. But remember, the temple is destroyed, the one that the Antichrist defiles. And this is the millennial temple that Ezekiel saw. And the, the temple will be one square mile, according to Ezekiel 45, 1 through 4. And this will serve as the worship center for the thousand years. Number six, the world will be changed. Remember, during the time, in that time, Ezekiel 47, 7 through 12, it says that the waters are healed according into the Dead Sea and trees will grow. We've been to the Dead Sea and it's very salty. And eventually, water is going to flood that place, and it's going to heal the, the, the waters of the Dead Sea. Look at what it says in Ezekiel 47, 9 through 12. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea, from Engedi to Engliam. And it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of every of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are also left for salt. And on the banks of both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water froze, flows from them from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now imagine, the tribulation period has had, what, earthquakes, volcanoes, wars, death, asteroids, all the green grasses burned up, waters polluted, but God is some kind of way going to make this habitable again and it's going to be beautiful. Remember, he, he destroys the world by fire later for the new heavens and the new earth. But this will still be a perfect time. God will make it as the Garden of Eden. He will change the atmosphere. And it's going to be a tremendous time. I mean, it's, our mind cannot even fathom. what this. These scriptures are coming out and showing you, but it's still hard to put into place. Ruling with the Prince of Peace on this earth. Number seven, there will be peace in the animal kingdom. Remember when Adam sinned in the garden, it changed everything. Sin was infected, infected the earth, it infected people, and it infected animals. Animals are hostile towards each other as well as humans, right? During the millennial reign, we see the earth getting a change of attitude. Think what it says in Isaiah eleven six through 8. And that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. A little child will lead them. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. 
and the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. And look, he says it again. Yes, a little child will put his hands in the nest of a deadly snake without harm. Think about that. That's amazing. Animals won't be trying to attack you, right? They're going to eat grass like they were intended to eat. Number eight, wars will cease. Isaiah 2.4 2, says, The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. See, the presence of Jesus stops every war. In history, when Jesus was born and he walked this earth for 33 years, there was a gate in Rome. It was called the Gates of Janus. You could look this up. And when that gate was open, war was in progress. But when Jesus was born, the whole time he was on that earth, on the earth, it was shut. That means there was no war. One has said the waves of factious and ambitious policy had for a while settled into quiet. And the temple of Janus closed its doors that the church of Jesus might throw it open. I like that. Number nine. What will worship be like? Remember, there will be a temple according to Ezekiel. He gives us the dimensions. He gives us the priesthood, worship, and sacrifices. Worship will be in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, we know that blood, the blood of bulls and goats do not take away sin, right? Remember, the temple will be the royal habitation of the king of glory. Ezekiel 43 tells us this. The Lord said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place where I will rest my feet. I will live here forever among the people of Israel. So worship will be instituted and sacrifices are not the reinstitution of the Mosaic law. Remember, these sacrifices were to take away sin during that time or to cover it. Jesus is the one who took away sin. Just like the Lord's Supper is a symbolic reminder, right? Here are the reasons why God rules and reigns from there. To demonstrate his holiness, number one. To provide a place for his glory. Number three, to provide a center for government. And number four, to provide a memorial sacrifice. See, the atonement that is talked about in Ezekiel is for ritual purification. Remember, a holy God dwelling amongst glorified saints as well as people that have glorified not that do not have glorified bodies. So this ritual pur- purification will happen so they can worship the Lord. It's a matter of ritual purification. So it's not that they're taking away sin or Jesus is saying, hey, my uh, salvation has an expiration date. It doesn't. Number 10, divine government. This will be a global government according to Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. So what roles will we play? Listen, whatever rank or position or responsibility, it's perfect. There won't be somebody saying, God, why you put this person over here? I, I taught Sunday school. I did. It won't be any of that because we have a glorified body that we don't have that ability to think those ways. Look what it says in Revelation 20, verse 6. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for the thousand years. Daniel seven eighteen. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. Daniel seven twenty two. Until the Ancient One, the Most High, came and judged in favor of His holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Daniel 7.27 Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people 
of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and the rulers will serve and obey Him. So we will have authority and rulership. Think about that. But we won't abuse it because we don't have the ability to have our minds say, I can do this and do that and get away with it. Revelation 26-27, To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, I will give authority over all the nations. Look what it says in verse 27. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. (laughs) So we get a rod too, apparently. (laughs) Remember in Luke 19, the parable of the ten servants? This is where we get our, you know, if you were faithful with this and God's going to give you more. This is what this is talking about. In 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3, it says, Do you not realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even the little things amongst yourselves? Do you not realize that we will judge angels or rule over all of these people? Because remember, God is the one that's going to ultimately judge. So we will live in a flawless government with a perfect king. I'm I'm ready for that. In its place of corruption will be integrity and justice. We will rule him with no sin nature because of our glorified bodies and minds. And Christ will rule from Jerusalem and his government will last forever. And the world will enjoy peace and prosperity and knowledge of him. The world is telling you that you can get that now. You cannot. That's why they want all the ten nations that we have. They don't. That's foolishness. Remember, this is going to be a time of ultimate prosperity and peace. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Look at this, and it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees, or decide disputes by what what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide the equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, and he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of waste, and the faithfulness the belt of his loins. So Jesus himself will be ruling and reigning, and he's going to take care of the lawbreakers. Now, will there be sin on the earth during this time? Yes. We talked about the people surviving the tribulation, going in through. They will still have their sin nature in, because, in, you know, we get take, we get that taken out of, with our glorified bodies. So they're going to have people having kids that are going to be in this perfect environment with that sin nature still ruling and reigning. People will relate outwardly to the law, but inwardly they will still be wicked. Matthew, I mean, Mike, Michael 4, 1 through 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, there'll be no lengthy court proceedings during this time. Jesus does not need an opinion when he can see what's going on. He can see the motive of the heart, right? He will be able to perform righteous judgments because he is not flawed in any way. But there is going to be law to govern people with. Look what it says in Isaiah eleven four. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide the equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill 
the wicked. So much for our lowly, meek Savior, right? We, we, always, we always have like this picture of Jesus as just begging us to go along. There's a reason that there's a rod of iron in his hand. He's not going to ask if we can have the Ten Commandments in, in, in the school. He's not going to ask if, you, you mind if we do this? He's going to say, this is how it's going to be. I'm ruling. I'm king. Everything is mine, mine, mine. <laughs> it's true. Y'all sound too blunt. I don't have a rod in my hand, man. So, And remember, check this out in Zechariah 14, 16 through 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of tabernacles. So they're going to be, there's going to be a feast of tabernacles still going on. It says, And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, uh, on them there will be no rain. In other words, he's, if you don't come up to worship, he's going to cut your rain off. Like cutting your water off. And if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up for the Feast of Tabernacles. Think about that. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that do not come up for the tabernacles. Look what it says in verse 20. And that day holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's houses shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holiness unto the Lord. The trademark will be holiness to the Lord. It won't be made in China, made in America. It's going to say holiness unto the Lord. That's amazing. It's true. It really will. So even in a perfect environment, you still have people that say, I'm not going to the temple and, and offer a sacrifice. That just goes to show you the evil in the heart of people. The rebellion, which is sin, that comes out of the human soul. Sin peaks at the next point. Satan is loosed. Let's look at this in Revelation 27 through 10. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, we see this again, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. So Satan is released. He comes out with great fury and wrath of a chihuahua. <laughs> right? The spirit of Gog and Magog that, that inhabits Russia will show up again on the scene and try to do this battle. And it will be the shortest battle in all of human history. Before the first shot is fired, God will rain fire and destroy every single one of them. Then he takes the devil and casts him into the lake of fire where the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, which completes the, the three stooges. <laughs> so here's your question. Why would God allow another stand? Listen, every batch must be tested. All these people that are born during this time must be tested. And it tells us, it shows us that it, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. And it goes back to a perfect environment. And God is furthering the point. The problem is in the soul, not in your environment. It's like the serial killer that is locked up. He cannot act out his serial killingness because he is locked up. He can't do what he wants to do. The millennial, millennial age is designed to be the final test for fallen humanity. Remember, 
The human heart is a factory of sin. We produce this stuff. We, I mean, it just, it just comes out. Our thought process, our dealings, you know, and an unconverted soul has no bridle. They just do what they want, right? Now let's look at the great white throne judgment. This chapter is the most sobering scene that you can have. This chapter is a grim reminder of an impending day that is on God's calendar. Today it seems business as usual. Mankind is manufacturing at a, at a high speed of sin after sin. As we come to the end of time, we come to the final destination of those who walk on the Broadway. Revelation 20 verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Listen, there's no rainbow. There's no thundering and lightning. This tells us it's just a great white throne. The, the covenant is no longer in, in effect, right? It's no longer there. It's not optional for this person. The thunder and light, there's no more warning that a storm's coming. It is here. Judgment starts now. Revelation 20, 12 through 15, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deed. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now many today shun the thought of eternity or this event, right? This seems so far away, but this is a very sobering account. We need an eternal perspective that marks our life with an urgency, urgency to rebel what we see as normal. Because listen, when they stand before God, all that they thought was normal here will seem abnormal up there. This chapter tells us on the horizon of time, the final judgment. Each day gets closer and closer. The world is getting closer and co closer. The, the, the book of Romans calls it the day of wrath or the day of judgment. Look what it says in Acts 17, 30 through 31. God is now declaring to men that everywhere should repent. He's not asking. He's declaring you must repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man who has he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Listen, mankind is betting their entire life that there is no final judgment. They are living as if this day does not exist. This day must happen to, to show God's holiness. Think about it if Hitler can get away with it. Think about it if, and we see it in that grand scheme, but... The smallest things is, a, is a, a fist in the face of God. All the world comes to this final climactic scene in front of the holiest and highest court in all the land. There is no second chance. There's no recess. There's no defense lawyer. There's no plea deal. There is no mercy. Every lost sinner is summoned before the great Lord of our salvation. Think about that. We could sum up the people that will be there. Number one, the sinner will be there. The outright sinner who lives like there is no God. Number two, the procrastinator will be there. The one who said, I was gonna serve God. Number three, the religious cult member. 
And listen, every other religion will be before that throne. If you do not profess Christ, it does not matter what you believe. If you worship a leaf, a tree, Buddha, Muhammad, it does not matter. You will be at the great white throne judgment. It does not matter what we believe. If you don't believe that if you stick your hand in, in, the, uh, in a fire and it will not burn you, it doesn't matter what you believe. Your belief has no bearing on reality. We need to know this. The self-righteous will be there. The per- I'm a good person. I, me and God have our own thing. That person will be there. The lost church member will be there. The person who thought they could jump the fence, as it talks about in, in one of the, the uh, parables. The evidence shall be placed before them. It will be irrefutable. It will be factual. Every man will be without excuse because the, their fate is settled. This is deep. I'm shaking. <laughs> The facts will be shown in absolute truth. There will be no falsehood. There will be no false testimony. The Bible says that every motive will be exposed and laid bare. It will be as it was, not how you think it is. Man's rationale will make no sense at this point. Right? The belief, I believe that does not matter. The holiness of the Lord is here. Revelation 20 verse 11. Great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Great is magnitude, white is purity, throne is kingship and purpose. Listen, earth and heaven fled. These people are being summoned to what is fleeing God's presence. Imagine this. The scene is so terrifying. There is no place to hide at the great white throne judgment. And the one who is on the throne is none other than Jesus Christ. John 5, 22 and 29. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He does not honor the Son, nor does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he's the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to the resurrection of judgment. Think about this. It says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And they were judged by everything that was written in the book. Everything, every thought, every word, every deed is written in the book for those that are aside from Christ. Because remember, Christ paid for our sin. These people are betting, I'm just going to answer for myself. Revelation 20, 13, it says, And the sea gave up the dead, and death and Hades gave up the dead, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. We need to realize that in this judgment, John is seeing an eyewitness account of this. I often wonder, I wonder if you saw any of people that are not believers. I wonder if you saw your classmates, your family. Think about that. 
There's no man coming to your house with a court order. You are being summoned and the earth would no, not dare keep you hidden. If God says, bring this person up. Think about this. This is real. <laughs> you with me? Yeah. Sound like a little mean Baptist preacher. I don't know. <laughs> These people are taken from the sea and they're the bodies that have drowned. Hell is now empty. Every lost sinner from the time of Adam until then is standing shoulder to shoulder looking at the, the one that they blasphemed and, and hated all their life. The great are those who are powerful. The Hitlers, the famous, the rich, the mighty men who shook history. And then it says the small. It's our neighbors. Those who had nine to five jobs. Grandmothers, grandfathers, mothers, aunts, uncles. The books are open and every thought is there only to show you the evidence why, why, why you are condemned. See, God could just say, well, figure it out. You're not here. No, he's going to give a fair trial and no one will be able to stand that is at that judgment. Then they will hear, depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Think of that. There'll be people there that say, we cast out devils. We did this. You see negotiating, Right. You see people trying to give an account during that time. Men begging for a second chance. Think about that. Can you imagine the feeling of hearing that? If you thought you were doing everything right. Imagine the procrastinator. Give me one more chance. I, I do believe. Go. Angels with flaming swords will escort these people out of, out of this presence. Think about that. Witness. Share the gospel. This is a real-life account of what is coming in the future. Number three, the New Jerusalem. Let's get to the good news. John saw the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Revelation 21, 1 through 2, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out from the heavens. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, the twelve gates guarded by twelve angels. And the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones. And on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So God is showing us that He remembers His covenant with the twelve tribes, as well as the, the, the foundation which is built on the twelve apostles with Christ being the chief cornerstone. So we see symbolism, we see symmetry, we see a thick wall, <laughs> right? It has three gates on each side with the names of the tribes of Israel as well as the, the foundations of the, the, the twelve apostles. Look what it says in Revelation 21, 16, and 18. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its width. And he's measured the city with the rod. 1,500 miles its length and width, width and height are equal. And he measured its wall 72 yards thick. A football field is 100 yards. This gate, these gates that surround, is 72 yards thick. Imagine that. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear gas. 
glass, not gas. There will be no gas in heaven. So it's 1,500 square miles, like a cube. So the city is the same distance as its depth. And the city uh, is seen as a cube because its temple, uh, the temple itself looked more like a cube. But remember, there's no temple in this place. Some say it could even look like a pyramid because generally pyramids were considered paganism. You know, so these are thoughts because you're trying to figure out how big this thing is. We've never seen something like this. So basically, imagine a city stretching from Canada to Mexico and from New York to Denver. In height-wise, too. It's amazing. The tip of Florida to the tip of Maine. The city alone will be nearly 2 million square miles. Being that the height is 1,500 miles, that would mean if a building in the city was 12 feet per story, the building would be over 600,000 stories. Just, you know, trying to break this down to where we can see. In this city, it sins and levels and multiplied billions of people could occupy the city with approximately 2,000 square feet per person. Another scholar said that the New Jerusalem could take up a surface area of 2,250,000 square miles, about 3,623 times the size of London. A cube the city of this size could accommodate 20 million residents, each having their only 75-acre cube. So yeah, I don't think it's going to be too too tight. And look what it says. The, the walls of the city are 72 yards thick, once again. Then it says, uh, and are made of crystal clear jasper, like a diamond. This wall is a giant jewel. <laughs> the translation of this word jasper refers to a crystal clear diamond. Behind the city is made of pure gold like glass or transparent, translucent gold. Now think about this. Why? <laughs> Listen, nothing can block the glory of God. You, the glory of God will shine through. It's going to be, our mind cannot even fathom. You think about it, if it was just stone and you, then the glory of God would be, and it would, would be in the city and not be able to, it would be blocked. Nothing blocks the glory of God. It will sit on 12 foundation stones that are jewels. This is the color of the jewels. Revelation 21, 19 through 20. Listen to this. Clear diamond, dark green, dark blue, greenish blue, red and white, bright red, golden yellow, blue green, yellow green, apple green, and blue and purple. That is going to be... If you have family members that died, they're, they're already probably freaking out over this. <laughs> Look what it says in Revelation 21, 21 through 27. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. 1,500 miles? Think about it. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And he... And the, the city has no need of the sun. I mean, the sun would blush at the glory of God or the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the lamb. And the nation shall walk by its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. Now, this means there are two types of glory. There's intrinsic glory, which means God is glorious in, in his own right. 
God doesn't need anything. He is glorious in his own right. We bring ascribed glory. In other words, when we worship God, we're giving God glory. Not that he needs it because he's intrinsic. Intrinsic. He has his own glory. We give ascribed glory. So these nations are bringing their glory into it. In other words, they're bringing glory to God in it. At the daytime, for there shall be no night. Its gates are never closed. They shall bring glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abominations, lying, shall ever come into it. But it is only for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now these pearls are something extra. Think about this. I want to read you something from John Phillips. He said, All other precious gems are metals of stone, but a pearl is a gem formed within the oyster. It is the only one formed by living flesh. The humble oyster receives an irritation or a wound, and around the offending article that has penetrated it or hurt it, the oyster builds a pearl. The pearl, we might say, is the answer of the oyster to which was, has injured it. And the glory land is God's answer to Christ, to the wicked men who crucified heaven's beloved and put him to open shame. How like God is it to make the gates of the New Jerusalem pearls? The saints, as they come in, will go to be forever reminded that they pass through the gates of glory, that the access to God's home is only because of Calvary. Think of the size of these gates. Think of the supernatural pearls from which they're made. What gigantic suffering is represented by these gates of pearl. Through the endless ages of time and eternity, we shall be reminded through those pearly gates the immensity of the suffering of Christ. Those pearls hung eternally as it is the reminder of the access to the glory of God. Think about that. Heaven is entered through the suffering by the wounded Redeemer. And we have been wounded as well, right? And when we walk through these gates, all of that stuff is left. Remember, the Bible calls Jesus the pearl of great price. The city has gates, so obviously you can go in and out and be greeted by angels. The gates never close, symbolizing there's never a time to be worried. There's never a time when it's not safe. Back in the day, in the old days, nights, at the nighttime, cities and, and gates were closed. Heaven is a place of eternal rest. There's no sleep. There's no need for night. We'll always be in a state of rest. It also says that all ethnic groups symbolized by the word, the nations as well as the kings bring their glory into it. Simply, whatever glory God would be there would dissolve into the glory as they enter. So they're bringing this ascribed glory. Think about that. So I'm, I'm ending this with Number one, because I think I left all the rest of my paperwork. Oh, here it is. I uh, got you. No, I really did think I, I, I left it. I was wondering. I was like, I know I got further than that. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as the crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the land. Through the middle of the city, of the, the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name, their names, His name will be on their foreheads. And the night will be no more. They will need no light 
of the Lamb or the Son, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and forever. Now, like Ms. Tamara said, there's no hydrological system, so we don't know if this is something that God does or if it's something supernatural. Remember, there's no more sea, but they have a river that, that comes from the, from the middle of the, the city. So it could be the water of life. It could it cannot be H2O. We just don't know. But it's running from the throne. And the symbol of pure life and holiness, it bathed the city like the representation of salvation and refreshing. Jesus spoke about the refreshing waters, right? It's a symbol of the everlasting refreshing that comes from the throne. On, on the side of these of, of this river is trees that are that are producing fruit. Thank God there's no tree of good and evil, right? We don't want to go through that again. <laughs> but like Miss Tamara brought out Proverbs 3.18, wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Proverbs 13.12, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 15.4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. In other words, Picture wisdom, good, fulfillment. All of these things are unending. Remember, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will make all things new. He says these things. All, it's always a state of newness in heaven. When you get to heaven and you see the, the gates of pearl, that will always be a shock. And it will never be like, oh, I'm used to the gates. When we see the disciples, when we see our family, it will always be that, that state of newness and excitement. Everything that we do will be an explosion of joy and, 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 and beauty. Some scholars say that there's no need for physical healing because sickness and anything like that is done away with. But somehow these fruits enhance the experience. Or some say it could be those that didn't have the glorified bodies to be in God's presence. They got to eat this to sustain their ability to be in his glory. We just don't know this is in the future. Revelation 21, 22. And I saw no temple for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb or its temple. Why is that? Because the glory of God will encompass everything. There's no need to go to a building. It, we, we will be in the presence of God. His glory will fill the earth, our being. Everything about us will be infatuated, experiencing the ecstasy and the, and the, the power of God. It will fill the new heavens and the new earth. We will be in a, in a continued state of communion and joy. There will never be a moment where we are not engaged in mind-blowing euphoria. Amen. Think about it. It says, And there shall be no longer any curse in the throne of God, and the Lamb shall be in it, and His bondservants shall, shall serve Him. I'm sorry, it's been a long day. <laughs> And listen, we're going to serve the Lord. It'll never get old. We're not going to get bored because we don't have that selfishness in us anymore. We're going to want... You think God's boring? You're just think in this fallen world, there's so much to do. How much in the glory of God? Our minds cannot comprehend. The colors we cannot comprehend. We will see what Moses could not see. We will see the very face of God. Revelation 22.5 Because the Lord shall illumine them, they shall reign forever and ever. We will bask in the glory of God. But what's the life application? Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires us, his prophets, has sent his angel to his servants. And it will happen soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of this prophecy. So number one, obey. 
Obey the Lord. Jesus is laying out the future and he's saying, obey my words. God's future, your future, and God's future is real. He put it in a book that we can read. Revelation 22, 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw him, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and prophets, as well as all who obey what is written, this book, worship only God. So number two, keep worshiping. The angel tells, tells John, worship God. Listen, not angels, not denominations, not these celebrity pastors. I'm just saying it. We can worship through our trials because now you've seen the future. Every heartbreak, you worship through that. You know what's so good about worship? Because when we get to heaven, worship is, there's nothing to worship through. Think about how holy your worship is when you're worshiping through your pain and your suffering. Worship is pure here. It's going to be a light. It's going to be a given there. But think about when you can worship through your trial. You can worship through your suffering. You can worship through cancer. You can worship through devastation. That is holy, set-apart worship. And we can have a clear mind because we can cope with the future, knowing what's coming. Keep our mind on the things of heaven. Revelation 22.10, Then he instructed me, Do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Number three, witness, proclaim, and instruct. Now is the time to take your light from underneath the bushel and let it shine. Run with your light into the darkness of this world. Re-energize your walk with a mission by detaching from the trinkets and toys of this world that is nothing that is putting us to sleep. Realize the time is coming. Remember, we talked about that judgment. That's on the calendar in heaven. Revelation 22:11. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile, and let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. So number four, serve and live rightly. Our marching orders are clear, right? Keep serving, keep, keep worshiping, keep moving forward with the Lord. And if you're not doing anything now, it's time to get in the game. The, this message of the book of Revelation is to pull us from mediocrity into a great work. Amen? Amen. Anybody have any questions? No. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet, huh? Well, okay. Okay. I'm confused when they talk about individuals being judged and nations being judged. Yeah. That's the, that's the confusing part of, of not knowing what the nations are. Or if it's the sheep and goat, or if it's people. Yeah, because, you know, in each individual is judge, but how do you judge the whole nation? Because there's some people who are maybe living righteously and some not. So. Well, the, the, some uh, other people think that it's the leaders of these nations. Oh. So that's what I said. It's all speculation. Okay, so we're you all know? confused. Yeah, well, <laughs> we do know that the beam of seat is where we get judged. That's what be, you know, our works would be like wood, fire, uh, wood hay and stubble. That means if we did things with impure motives, it's going to be, it's going to go up in flames and we'll be smoke, we'll, we'll be saved, but it'll be like the smell of smoke is on us. <laughs> it's basically what it says. And if we did things with a pure motive, we did what God told us to do, it'll be like gold, precious stones. So we know that that's the Christian. Yeah. Then we know that there's the, the Bema Seat judgment. So I don't see any other 
explanation because these people get judged at one time, these people get judged at one time. So that's why it's baffling of the sheep and goat nations. That's why there's only speculation. You know? Some, but we do know that the righteous go in and the, the, the wicked go to eternal damnation. Anybody else? Come on, this is it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's right. So, anyone that passes away mm-hmm. and cries in their heart, they are supposed to be... The soul and spirit go to be with the Lord okay. and then the body goes to the ground. At the, at the rapture of the church... The dead in Christ, the bodies rise. And the Bible says the corruptible puts on incorruption in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. So that's two pictures of the same event. God knows where every particle is. If there was eaten by a shark, he's able to, he's able to, you know, he, he really doesn't. You die in a house fire or whatever. I mean, God knows where all of these particles are. I mean, he's, he's supernatural. You know, whether you... You know, whether we get blown up in an explosion, God has the ability. He knows where every single cell is, and the corruptible puts on incorruption, and then the glorified body happens. And it's going to be amazing. Anybody else have any other questions? Okay. No, believers go in. Yeah, so, yeah, you have... Okay, you have the rapture, then you have the tribulation. Jesus comes back at the second coming, sets up the millennial kingdom. Now, there will be people that live through the tribulation that do not get the mark of the beast, right? Because the Bible says these people are killed. There will be people that, are, that receive Christ that do not die because the rapture has already happened and they live through the tribulation. They have children and they repopulate the earth for a thousand years. So that means these people that were in their 50s, or, you know, we'll be able to have kids, 60s, and then they will have kids. And that thousand-year reign, the population, remember we said, is extended. People live older, and they will be, they'll be able to have more and more kids. And those people will repopulate the earth in a perfect environment. Some will receive Christ. Some will not receive Christ. That's basically what, what it's saying. But the devil still walking the earth. No, no, the devil's bound for the thousand years. So that means, but that just goes to show you, those people... There are, well, when the devil comes out, it says he leads a great army. So if, if, apparently, he pulls what's already there. Right. Okay, what, I, what I mean is, though, you're going to have the righteous people, you said, yeah. that are going to go back, go, they're going to live on. They're going to live on, and they're going to have they're kids. They're going to have evil kids, evil still. Apparently, that's what it, you know, because there's babies playing in the co- a cobra's nest. Yeah. So that tells you that there's going to be life continuing on. And remember... Jesus has people executed during this time, so there are people that are still breaking the law, even in a perfect environment, which is mind-blowing for us. But that goes to show you, we can't, we can't say the devil made me do it. Your own evil heart is producing these desires. We blame everything on the devil. Cast the devil out of me. I can't cast the flesh out of you. Right? You we just get it we just get a we just start to have these desires in our own because of our experiences, the things we've experienced. Not the devil, it's our interest. At the rapture. Because you probably won't last a thousand years. Oh no. At the rapture. At the rapture of the church. That's when we get our glorified bodies, huh?
Yeah. And I have to teach them good. That's right. Our sinful nature is bent towards bad. That's right. So these uh, people that do survive, they're still in the fallen nature. That's right. They know who Jesus is. That's right. So we fight that now. We know who Jesus is. We're saved. We still fight. Right. Yeah, if you don't think kids yeah. have evil tendencies, put two kids in a in a in a playpen with one rattle, and yeah. you'll <laughs> you'll see that it's just in them to want to dominate. Mm-hmm. What are the people like without the glorified bodies? Are they just the spirits? No, they they just have their bodies apparently because they remember you can live longer during that time. So during the thousand years, that that's what. I, some say that that's the ones that have to eat off of the trees along to, to, to sustain the glory of God. That's what it says. These things are something that we don't really know. We can look at the Bible and what it says and, you know, these great scholars just basically hone it down to one or two things. But I'm sure it'll all make sense once, we, once we're in heaven, you know. So on the glorified mm-hmm. we, we go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yep, glorified body, just like Christ. When He came back, He was, you know, they they were able to touch Him, and it says we will be like Him. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to point out, like. I've been a true lover of rainbows all of my life, and all I, the true background that I had on it was just Noah and the ark, and this study shows me that it actually, it's more relevant than mm-hmm. just their reading of blood. Yeah. And, and I, I just wanted to share that because it just resonates with me. That's good. <laughs> so immediately after the the, the millennial reign, all the elements will be destroyed. Is that when he recreates everything? Well, yeah, because it, remember it says earth and heaven fled away. That could be the recreation process. But either way, I don't. That's, that's something that I, I thought like, what God's going to do with the people as this is being, you know, like we're trying to figure it out. But you know, the Bible says that the earth will burn up with fervent heat. And basically, that all has to happen after sin is judged and dealt with, because now the whole earth will be perfect, and we go back to the garden, basically, when it was perfect. It was a perfect time, perfect environment. We'll live for millions and billions, and you know, all, and we, yeah, we never go. I hope God doesn't have some other plan <laughs> after it's all said down. Like, yeah, that that was this book. Now we're gonna do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that that'll happen, but yeah. Hey guys, surprise, we got another book. No, that's not true. No, but once again, God tells us what we need to know. He tells us the future. We can't fathom some of these things. So that's why the best thing to do is just try to see what the Word says. And some things we just leave it up to God to. But we know it's going to be perfect. It's going to be amazing. Uh, You know, anybody else? Do we have a list of anybody? Because I know some people had mentioned that they wanted to get the whole series uh, on DVD. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's it's only going to be like $20 for the whole thing, and that just covers the cost. You know, there's no money or anything like that that, you know, to, to pay for shipping and stuff like that. All that's factored into it. So I don't know if we have a list. Okay, we do have a list. Charlotte says we have a list. We, you know, so you can just fill out if you want. 
uh, a copy of it. Once again, it'll be on the app. It'll be streamed on YouTube and all, all the other areas. But some people wanted copies. So we are going to be able to make that available because we were able to record all of it. And like I said, it's hours and hours of material. So thank you all for, for coming and being part of it. Praise God. Let me, let, me, let me close with prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time in your word. God, we thank you for our future, which is your future. God, we thank you for everything that you put in your word. And Father, we just, we just welcome you with open arms. You can come back whenever you feel the need to come back. We're not, we're not hindering. We, we want you to come back. And Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in the midst of our struggles even today. God, we thank you that we have a reference to look forward in the future. And God, we know that your reign will be perfect. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being saved and being able to serve in your kingdom, in your capacity. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Praise God.